This is The Guardian. Hello, I'm Faker Rudders and welcome to The Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, that was slightly underwhelming, wasn't it? But England did get the win. Their opening World Cup match against Haiti ended 1-0 thanks to a Georgia Stanway retaken penalty. Mary Earps take a bow, although it was the referee who ultimately stole the show. The Lionesses do top Group D, though, along with Denmark, who bagged a late win against China. The World Champions USA, meanwhile, kicked off their campaign in style, as did Japan. We'll round up all the games on day three of the tournament, plus take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. Right, now this is going to be fun because we've got a bit of a dynamic duo situation going on. I'll introduce them in a second. Let's first of all say hello to former Lioness and World Cup bronze medalist from back in 2015, Claire Rafferty. How are you doing? Hi, Faye. Very well, thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Um, But working together in tandem in Australia with one mic between them, it's Salon Andy Hickman and the Guardian's very own Susie Rack. Hello. Hey, hey. Who says hi first? That's the the question. We're going to take it in turns. I love the fact that you're joined almost like Siamese twins with your headphones. So if one of you pulls in one direction or gets animated, as I know that Salon does, then you're in a little bit of trouble. But I love the fact that you've both got, I mean, I asked if it was chamomile tea. It's kind of what, strawberry, fruity? You've got your key to calm down from what was a a crazy match. Raspberry, Loganberry. Yes, loads of of fruit in there to, to wind us down for bedtime. Yeah, fresh from the Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. That's where we're going to start. England and their win in Group D over Haiti. It wasn't a vintage England performance, but three points to three points. They didn't really make it particularly easy for themselves, though, did they, Susie? Did they underestimate Haiti or did they just not click themselves? I don't know. I mean, I said in my match report that there were a lot of questions around England going into the game and we didn't really get many answers to any of those questions in this game. Is it sort of first game nerves? Is it just not being very good? Is it a little bit of both? I mean, it it felt slightly reminiscent of the game against Austria, the first game of the Euros, which was a bit scrappy and a bit disjointed, but there was a bit of a difference in that, you know, obviously, I think Haiti played very, very well, but Austria are a much better team than Haiti. So it should have been more straightforward, really, shouldn't it? And I I worry about a lot of the questions still being unanswered around the number 10 role, who starts up top, the defence, you know, all of those still are problems that haven't been fixed yet. Mm, Yeah, there are quite a few problems I would say but let's go positive first of all what was the actual atmosphere like Salon? It was at points quite flat I think which reflected I think what was going on in the pitch there weren't loads of clear-cut chances for people to get excited about 
and I think you could feel that. It definitely felt like there was an England bias in the in the stadium. It felt like there was a lot of England fans. The build up to the game was really fun. There was loads of yeah, you, you could have been in, like in and around Wembley, I think, when you're walking to the ground. But there was also a big current for sort of the underdog um, every time that Haiti were on the break, which made it more exciting, I think, a sort of a, an atmosphere and a dynamic. But yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think the ground were treated to the most fascinating and brilliant performance I've ever seen. And I think we'll sort of mirrored and match that energy, but hope that it kind of builds because it did really feel like there's, there's a lot of England fans in Australia, whether they're Australian or English. Yeah, which was really nice to be around. Helen wants to know on Twitter, Salon, it's hard to see where England goals may come from currently. A year ago, they were scoring for fun. What's changed? Beth Mead's knee configuration, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Not having an ACL. Um, no, in all seriousness, a transition of, of, a forward, of a forward line. It's not only that um, we don't have Beth Mead in the squad and, and Ellen White has retired, but also that then what that means in terms of Chloe Kelly and the role that she played in the Euros and when she came on and, and the dynamic of the game already that was set up for her to come into. And now it's kind of on her shoulders and on Russo's shoulders to be those players to, to set the tone and get us going. And I think, you know, they could always rely on those players that were natural, some of the best goal scorers in the world, setting the tone for them to then come and slot into. Yeah, I also think that um, the Euros, there was a real unpredictability to where the goals were going to come from. Were they going to come through the middle? Were they going to come from the wings? There was like... England really mixed it up and without Leah Williamson playing out from the back without Frank Kirby in the middle you've lost the sort of high quality play through through the centre and we're very reliant on the wings and that's a lot more predictable um, which I think is a bit of a problem and finding that trying to get back some of that unpredictability of where the goals are going to come from and where the opportunity is going to come from is going to be really important. Yeah, and the build-up to this, Raf, all the talk was about the fact England hadn't scored in their last three games and they still haven't scored from open play. Serena Wiegmann said after the game that they need to finish their chances. She obviously didn't mention any names. She's not that type of coach, but people are going to assume the responsibility falls on the shoulders of Alessia Russo. Is she the right type of striker? Was she the right player to start this game? Or does Rachel Daly stake a good claim to start the next one? You know, I, I think Rachel Daly now has, you know, a claim to that starting position based on the way that we played and based on the way we all predicted England to play with the crosses into the box. Rachel Daly is is better in the air for me than, than Alessia Russo. However, yeah, I, I still think there are, there are questions that we, we were asked at the beginning of, of the game that we still need answering and, and want answering. And I think the way that we played was predictable. Um, and I think that was crying out for Rachel Daly. And I, th- I think if we're going to maintain that, that way of play, then she needs to start. I'm going to try and go chronologically, but actually, Susie, you've got something to, to add on that. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, like for me, looking at the strengths of Russo, Daly and Beth England, I don't see Rachel Daly as a particularly good impact sub, but Russo showed that she can really be that. Last year, probably, you know, she was almost too effective in that, you know, we now really much think of her as as a super sub for England. But I've not seen her put in a good 90 minutes for England. And I don't think Rachel Daly has ever been effective off the bench. So if you're talking about playing to the strengths of individual players, let alone just who is in form generally... I feel like you've got to start Rachel Daly, that she needs the momentum of the game behind her to be most effective. Whereas Russo and Toon were so, so impactful coming off the bench that you're sort of, you're, you're losing that sort of impact of sort of game-changing players 
by switching it up a little bit, which is a bit of a mistake in my book. I think as well, there's there's a relentlessness about Rachel Daly, which that game needed. She plays so well in quite scrappy environments. She will get that ball down and she will make something of it in really difficult situations. And I think England played into really tight spaces a lot of that, that time, which relies on a striker being able to take a ball down quite quickly, either hold it up or look for that pass or turn a player or get just make something out of nothing. And Rachel Daly, for me, is that kind of player. And actually, if she'd have been on going with the momentum of the game, as you said, Susie, I think we would have maybe had a few more clear-cut chances. It felt as if a lot of the chances that we did create, we talk about Hayes' goalkeeper, but I do think a lot of the chances were, were straight at her. Like, And it, we didn't really test her. And I, I think if you are if you need a bit of relentlessness and bite from the beginning, I think Rachel Daly provides that. However, she is versatile, as we know, and she played at left-back during the Euros. So you could start her at left-back and then move her up top. And, and, and from a former full-backs point of view, Raf. What did you make of, of that back line and the decisions made? Because when the team sheet first came out and we all saw Jess Carter and Alex Greenwood, we assumed wrongly that Alex Greenwood would be playing centre-back and Jess Carter would be playing left-back. And that was not the case. How did it work for you? How could it have gone better? Uh, look, I, I think the whole game I was I was watching that back line thinking, oh, you know, these are the four that need to be starting the play. They need to be driving with intensity. And I just felt like it just looked disjointed from the beginning. I feel like the players were getting dragged out of position, miscommunications, few occasions. There was Brighton and Lucy Bronze going for the same balls that were allowing Haiti to, to um counter on us but I think in terms of Jess Carter and Bright that's what I called for the game and that's what I wanted to see given their relationship at Chelsea however in hindsight I think that can't be the same going forward I'd like to see Greenwood now in the middle daily maybe at at the left back if she's not going to start in the number nine position um, and potentially looking at, at using Carter off the bench. Yeah, that that would be my preference uh, personally. Let's. I said we were going to go through chronologically. I'm going to try and do that, but I know what we're like. We're all over the place and we'll jump left, right and centre, I'm sure. But let, let's talk about the penalty shout in the first half. Uh, what we thought was a challenge on Chloe Kelly by Pierre-Louis. However, actually, Alessia Russo had fouled a player in the build-up, so a free kick was awarded to Haiti instead. Pierre-Louis was then still booked for the challenge, which, by the way, had that Alessia Russo foul not happened should potentially have been a red, but should it have been a penalty and should, after the being called back, Pierre-Louise have been booked for the challenge made after the foul. And by the way, Alessia Russo was also booked as well. I felt like the referee was a bit, there was a lot going on, Susie. I thought the, the Russo challenge was a little bit soft, but I've been well and truly taken down a peg or two in that opinion on Twitter. Like a lot of fans <laughs> not very happy with my opinion on that, saying it was a clear-cut foul. So so maybe what do I know? I mean, it's not the best view from the press box. It was a foul, to be fair. It was, um, but it wasn't It wasn't a yellow card. Definitely not a yellow card. She was falling. And like I think there's you know a little bit of leeway there. For me, the tackle on Chloe Kelly was was really, really dangerous. Could have been a leg breaker. Really, like, brutal. Studs right down. You saw her, the massive gash she had on her leg afterwards. I don't necessarily think that that player should have been on the pitch. I know it's complicated by the fact that, you know, if you're pulling it back, you can't necessarily give the cards uh, that you need to and stuff. But there's something not quite right about that rule, right? Like, it's a reckless challenge. Um, she's got a, what you know, kind of almost, like, 20 inch gash down her leg I wasn't that impressed you know I feel like that's not something that should be 
allowed to happen and then the player be allowed to stay on the pitch. Yeah, soon after England did get their penalty though, Bachiba Louis uh, reaching up and touching the ball after a cross came in. It was the most bizarre piece of defending I think I've ever seen, Salon, and a, a clear-cut penalty. Yeah, definitely. And I think a big sigh of relief amongst the whole ground of England fans at that point and everyone watching at home, I imagine, because, yeah, it, it didn't feel like we were going to score in any other way. And then you'd had a penalty denied in a tournament where penalties have been sort of handed out willy-nilly at this point. And then getting that penalty was a real saving for England at that point. I thought when Georgia took the first one, I was like, oh, taking it straight away again is always a bit of a gamble, I think, because... You know, do you go in the same spot? Do you mix it up? Do you go somewhere else? How to get in your head? All that sort of stuff. So fair play to her for, for taking the second one and burying it because, yeah, I couldn't really see her scoring in any other way. But I think that was a real moment of relief for, for all of us um, and them, I think, on the pitch. And I actually thought that would be the moment where, yeah, we score one and then the floodgates open and they relax a bit and you see the kind of football that we all wanted to see or saw last summer. Um, but it feels, yeah, at this point, it's, we're not, we're definitely not there yet. And there's a lot of things we still need to work out, I think, over the next, the next couple of days, I guess. Georgia Stanway did stand up to take the penalty. And in Georgia, we trust normally when it comes from the penalty spot. She'd scored seven from seven previously, but this attempt wasn't great. It forced a brilliant save from Curly Teus in the Haiti goal, but it had to be retaken because the keeper had encroached off her line. I mean, kudos to Stanway for stepping up again and finishing it this time. Similar thing happened in the Zambia-Japan game, by the way, which we'll discuss uh, later. But anyone think it was harsh for the penalty to be retaken or, you know, it was it was clear encroachment in my opinion, Raf? Yeah, clear, clear encroachment. I think if we're going the way the other games have gone and the stringent, you know, refereeing that we've seen and the, and the eyes that have been... Uh, forced and focused on some of these um, decisions that are being made I think yeah definitely great uh, opportunity to retake the penalty Uh, lifeline for Georgia Stanway who as you mentioned was quite a straightforward save yeah I mean I agree completely like clear as day and very very different to four years ago where it was a new rule and loads of loads of keepers were falling foul of it having never sort of really practiced it and not being that aware of it you know they all know it now we're four years in it they they should all be well aware of that so there can't be really any disputing of it at all can there now and if they weren't aware of it, the voice of God on the tunnel <laughs> made her aware of it very quickly afterwards. What was that like in the stadium? It's like someone's breaking the fourth wall. I don't want to hear a referee speak <laughs> in a game. They are voiceless. They are personless. I do not need to know who they are and what they sound like. I love them having personality. <laughs> you like it? Yeah, I love it. From, from at home, I do. You are a vapid object for me to project my feelings onto at different points of the game. And then suddenly she spoke. I was like, no, 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 no. This is not what I signed up for. You see, I I, I prefer it because I can't stand being in the crowd and not knowing what's going on and just having to look at the screen. And actually you end up, if you're lucky enough to get signal in in a stadium, you end up finding out on your phone as opposed to actually being in stadium. And I can't stand that. So I quite like it, but I know what you mean. It did feel very much as if she was, you know, it was a one woman show uh, in that first half for quite a long time um let's talk about lauren james coming off the bench in the second half she looked really lively down that left hand side how impactful as a substitute could she potentially be uh, for serena Wiegmann during this tournament susie huge but um i would start her <laughs> um first off i mean i think 
Ella Toon got really lost in this game and I think she really struggles in the number 10 role. She's not really a number 10. She's a bit more box to box. There's a big Frank Kirby shaped hole in this, in this side compared to the Euros. And Lauren James is the most capable of filling that creative gap, being that link between the midfield and the forward line um, and finding the pass that, that no one else sees uh, when things are really, really tough and teams are really sort of being quite tight in the middle. And I know she's, you know, obviously inexperienced and still quite young and we've not necessarily seen her do a, a, a sort of full 90 minutes of, you know, top, top quality. But I feel like that is the role that she's best suited to. It's the role she looks most comfortable in. It's the role she played uh, a bit against Portugal and was really, really impactful. Like, I feel like she needs to be starting in there ahead of Ella Toon at the moment based on on form you then get Ella Toon and Russo coming off the bench if you're putting Daly up top as well and having the same impact with that pre-existing relationship they have in the same way you did at the Euros. So you're sort of like changing things a bit. But um, I mean, she's still impactful off off the bench. She's, you know, still impactful on the wing. But I feel like creatively we need someone like her central and do you know what, though? that There was a, a really early moment in the game where there was lovely link-up play between Ella Toon and um, Lucy Bronze down the right-hand side with two back heels from, um, from Ella Toon to Lucy Bronze. It was, it was gorgeous to watch, but then we didn't see any more of that. And, and she was largely quiet for the majority of the game. So, you know, I think with that, though, you know, we obviously a little bit of England bias in in our heads but we really have to focus on how good Haiti were defensively and going forward as well because I think you know we didn't really know Serena Wiegmann used the word unpredictable leading into this about what this Haitian side would be like and they're ranked 53 in the world but they are pretty unpredictable to know apart from you know the girls that play for for Leon um, Melky Damani I thought was 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 fantastic and I, I kind of I think we have to focus on how good they were maybe with some better finishing though they could have got a goal or two particularly that chance in the 81st minute which forced that fantastic save from from Mary Earps Raf. yeah um you mentioned that the, the defensive line for Haiti there I think Lamarge when she came off I was a little bit worried um at centre back uh, she looked like she was in quite a lot of pain and I thought that might open the game up a little bit but actually um, you know, the player came in and filled a position. And I think they were very in, astute in the way that they actually re- reduced England's ability to play through Kira Walsh. And I think that was one of the issues for England. And when Lauren James did come on, she allowed a little bit more link-up play and opened up the, the ability for us to switch switch the play out wide and, and change the direction of attack. But in terms of, um, you know, the, the forward play from Haiti, I think they, they were so defiant um, in the way that they played um, the counter-press and... and turnover of play they were always first to those second balls and yeah I think overall I was really really impressed with them and as you mentioned Mary Earps keeping us in the game there but some some real quality within that side. Are you watching Nike? <laughs> it's been a big furore after your chat with Mary Earps and your article uh, Susie I know um, she sat down uh, with a number of, of the press but we talked about it in in yesterday's pod and you know when you see a performance like that from her having been quiet throughout the game really because it was you know she wasn't forced into making any any saves previous to that to still be that focused and make a, a world-class save like that with her left leg was was absolutely incredible but I think Haiti actually could cause some real problems in in this group going forward 
They definitely could. Just on Mary Earps as well, though, like one of the things that really impressed me was when in the interview that she did with us, she talked a little bit about the pressure that speaking out puts on you and you know that her saying this adds extra pressure and um that you know she's got just got to deal with it and get on with it and that she's you know going to strive to perform at her absolute absolute best level so she can look back on these conversations and be in a strong position and then to go in and put in a performance like that where you're not necessarily expecting to see much of the ball but suddenly you're having to step up in really really critical moments and and make the difference was you know really impressive in that context but yeah Haiti I mean hugely impressive I was saying earlier on that I think a lot of the uh, debutants have really surprised me and weirdly the one that everyone sort of had the eye on Zambia as sort of the ones who really struggled but you know you look at obviously they've got a lot of off, off pitch problems but you know you look at like Vietnam and you know Costa Rica and stuff and they've not had the you know the sort of the, you know the massive score lines that you saw uh, in 2019 and I think there has been a little bit of a shift and Haiti's performance is probably the standout of those because they really you know if they had got a point out of this game it, it would have been deserved. Also they're sort of an example of what it means to play against England now as well and I don't just say that as like a yeah some sort of western bias but when you rise like England did and also everyone is looking at you. Everyone is writing about you. You are, how you play is analysed in so many different ways. There's a lot more data and information to then set up and prepare against. You combine that with then the kind of mentality of we're playing against England. We really want to get a result here and we need to silence them and shut them down however we can. And often what we, obviously what we've seen is, is teams sitting deep, being really gritty, really physical against us and stifling us as much as possible and then trying to play on the break. And they did that fantastically today. Their chances were really, really good, but it was just clearly excellent preparation against us combined with that kind of attitude and mentality of we are going to kick them. <laughs> there was a lot of, there was a lot of fouls, that, well, but maybe not as many fouls, but really aggressive challenges, which the England girls looked a little bit like shocked by, right? It's like they didn't have as much time on the ball that they maybe thought they might've been able to have. And I think that's what we, we do we've come to expect that now and I think we need to be better at responding to to teams like that. Yeah, and Serena Wiegmann said at the end she was relieved when the final whistle finally went, which actually we haven't even said that either because that was all very strange. The the referee was like, I was the centre of attention in the first half. I want to be centre of attention in the second half. No, she didn't do that. That wasn't her point. Do we even know what happened? No, we don't. What happened? Um, I think there was a drop ball. It looked like it looked like a free kick. I think somebody in the crowd might have blown the whistle. No, no, I think she blew her whistle three times, right? Oh, I thought she'd realised that she hadn't played the the free kick to to then blow the whistle, so she had to play. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I got up out my seat anyway. I went to go make a cup of tea, and it was still playing. I thought oh. people started leaving. Everyone just went. Oh, started clapping and leaving, and then the ball was just. I was walking down to the mix zone, so I missed the entire thing. <laughs> oh, well, it was it was a sight to behold anyway, but the game did end. And as I say, Serena Wiegmann was relieved. Um, by the way, I think Haiti definitely won over a few hearts there. And if you want to find out a little bit more about each of the nations participating in this World Cup, be sure to check out the Guardian Women's World Cup 2023 Teams Guide. Uh, right, also in Group 
D. Not an extremely exciting game until the dying moments, but a fairly close-fought contest. Uh, it finished Denmark 1, China 0, a 90th-minute winner from Vansgaard. Uh, what can England take from this game? Are Denmark and China both beatable, Raf? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, China stifled Denmark in the first half. I was watching it. It wasn't the, the most uh, entertaining game because of that. I think tactically China got it right in terms of nullifying the threats. Peniel Harder was was struggling to get on the ball. I think the, the game was calling out for Bryn to come in, which she did in the second half. China just lacked um, any final product, but they were great at, you know, reducing the threats, keeping the pitch narrow. But there wasn't much spark in terms of creativity. So I think it's going to be different games than we've seen against Haiti, but uh, ones that might be more suited to how England play. Yeah, um, Amelie Vansgaard uh, with the header uh, in the end. It was a controversial goal, though, Susie. I know that you might not have, you know, had chance to see it live but I know you've watched the replay back it could potentially have been given as offside with Saveki running towards the ball as it passed Huan Zhu into China's net should it have been offside? I mean my my first instinct watching the replay is yes because two players that are sort of racing through the one who was offside are both like in the way of the goalkeeper's view like they're in you know they're not obviously directly interfering with the ball but they're right in the line of sight of the goalkeeper and for me that's that's a big issue like regardless of whether they're sort of moving through the air or whatever it it be like if you can't see where the ball is going you can't adjust your position at all so in that sense like potentially yeah like I can see why it it could be given either way as well though because it does bounce she is diving but for, I just think it's very unfair on the goalkeeper. I don't think we give goalkeepers enough to go with in situations like that, really. Also, it feels a bit like something's got to be on your side, as in luck, if you're scoring a header from that far out at that pace. Like, the ball, should, that goal should not go in in usual circumstances. It's funny you say that, though, because I think it was in the, the beginning of the second half, Hasbro missed an, like an open goal. The ball bounced across the six-yard box and she should have scored like an open goal. So it's kind of like they had the luck then and then it was taken away from them. Do, do, do you want to just go and speak to IFAB and get all the laws changed so that <laughs> yeah. every single game is fair for both teams, the lot of you? I'm no, but I know what you're saying, though. Sometimes yeah. you do have to you know, feel for the goalkeepers in those positions when they're surrounded by so many players. It's difficult. Difficult. Very difficult. Um, Salon, England play Denmark next. What are they going to need to be aware of? I mean, you know, you could look at, at both games and think both sides could potentially win this, but but what would you expect? Well, I've actually got, in my predictions, I've got England coming second in the group. Oh. I know, shock. Wow. And I think it's probably down to a lack of goal scoring. And I think Denmark will bag more goals, although... I'm not sure now after after both, both well, I'm, I'm more firm in, in, in my predictions on England, but maybe less firm on the predictions on Denmark. Um, no, it's going to be obviously probably the most important game of the group, um, not to write off China or, or Haiti at this point, but I do think, yeah, it will be that it will be a real um, teller. But then I think there's something about when we are, England are playing against teams who are, more expansive or move the ball around a bit more I think we do then play 
better. It's the age old thing of when you play, you know, against a better team, you tend to play better against them. And I think that will be our, our test and a real, we'll, hopefully we'll answer some of those questions, Susie, that you are arguing are still very much unanswered as they are, I think. Yeah, and I'm very relieved, Salon, you know, but I think we maybe need to educate Raf as to the predictions of this pod are very rarely accurate, Raf. So hopefully uh, Salon is, is is true to form there and uh, and totally, totally wrong. Uh, right, that's it for part one. We'll be back shortly to discuss USA's first game of the tournament and Zambia's first ever World Cup match. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Right, let's take a look at Group E and the world champions got their World Cup defence underway against Vietnam. It was a 3-0 victory in the end. Before we dissect this one, we have a voice note from the Guardian's Jeff Kasouf. Jeff Kasouf here at Eden Park in Auckland, New Zealand, where the United States has just begun their 2023 World Cup campaign and title defence. And what they hope is an historic three-peat with a 3-0 victory over Vietnam. Sophia Smith scored twice in the first half in her World Cup debut and then assisted Lindsay Horan's goal in the second half as the U.S. cruised past a Vietnam team that failed to even register a shot and played in a five-back in an ultra-low block. U.S. head coach Vlako Nanovsky rolled out a starting 11 that had never played together before in a competitive match, and that included Julie Ertz returning to her old center-back position alongside Naomi Gurma, and a surprise start in the number 10 role for Savannah DeMello. DeMello was deputizing for Rose Lavelle, who had been injured and dealing with a knee injury for the past three months. But in further good news for the U.S., Lavelle entered the match just after the hour mark alongside Megan Rapino, and the two nearly combined for a goal minutes later. Lavelle then rattled the crossbar on a shot of her own. After the match, she said she felt great, and she certainly looked it on the pitch. The U.S. attempted 27 shots, but put only eight on frame, and that was an area afterward where Ananovsky said he'd like to see some improvement. Among those finishing issues was a penalty kick just before halftime, which Alex Morgan struck low and right up the middle, and it was saved. Overall, though, it was a good match for the U.S. and a good one to get out of the way. Six of the 11 starters had never played in the World Cup before, and there was talk afterward, even from the very confidence of Via Smith, she did admit, there were some nerves. With that match behind them, the Americans now turn to next week, where on Thursday local time, they have a 2019 final rematch with the Netherlands in a match that is expected to decide Group E. On Saturday here at Eden Park, it was mission accomplished against Vietnam. They've got their victory and they hope the first of six to come. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much to Jeff Kasouf for that very in-depth um, analysis of the USA's uh, match. We'll talk about that Netherlands uh, game very shortly. But Susie, USA seen by many as the favourites for this tournament. 71% possession, 22 shots on goal. As Jeff said, none for Vietnam. What did you make of this? Yeah, I mean, it was a routine victory, but at the same time, it wasn't quite as swaggering and free-flowing as I thought it would be. I actually thought it was slightly disappointing from a, a US perspective, and I've seen a few fans say similar. I think that's 
maybe not fair given that there are so many new players within uh, that starting 11 that they're still forming relationships that they're sort of very much a team in transition you know they've still got Mega Rapino and Alex Morgan and some of those more experienced players around the side almost ushering in the new generation in this tournament and sort of coaching them in the US way of 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 being at a World Cup so I think it was an impressive performance given all of those things um, and just Sophia Smith is just an absolute delight to watch. Just so incredibly talented, plays with such freedom and confidence and yeah, like could do something really, really special at a first World Cup in a like really exciting way to watch. Early shout for player of the tournament, Golden Boot winner, Raf, for you. Yeah, I've, I've been seeing on Twitter that that's the uh, consensus. But look, I, I think she actually had a really good game. I think it was quite disjointed, like like Susie mentioned. Still not as free-flowing as we're used to seeing from a USA team, but they've got some some big players in that team. And for me, Smith, yeah, I think she's going to be one of the standout players if they do go all the way. But also Rodman, for me, the way that she dictated uh, the game. Uh, obviously new to this the World Cup, her debut World Cup as well. She was a standout player for me um, and I'm going to be quite interested to see how she progresses for the tournament. Let's just talk about that poor penalty. I saw you tweet, um, Salon. Did she slip? What happened? Alex Morgan, terrible penalty, really, saved by the legs of T. Kim Tan Tran. Let's not take anything away from the Vietnam goalkeeper. But, I mean, should do better, could do better. Yeah, I had to tweet because we were so, we were on a, a roadside rural town in uh, somewhere between Sydney and Brisbane on a 12-hour drive <laughs> trying to find somewhere to stop off to watch USA Vietnam and couldn't find anywhere at 11 o'clock in the morning that was showing it. So we got a legal stream. We watched it on our own devices, but then we didn't have it and I had to go on, on my app and I saw that the notification was penalty awarded penalty miss, Alex Morgan injury break, all within like a minute. I was like, what's happened here? That's quite a fun thing to try and work out. I wonder whether the ball had sort of hit her and the, the ball had uh, rebounded and hit her in the face or something. I don't know how, how you get injured after taking a pen. But then I saw it and thought that it was, yeah, a really poor penalty, but particularly from a player like Alex Morgan in a moment like that, you know, not, not massively under pressure against a team that you should be cruising past to then put a penalty where she put it it was yeah quite a pathetic penalty and yeah fair play to the Vietnamese goalkeeper but I think most people probably could have saved that. Megan Rapinoe made her 200th appearance for the national team nearly marked it with a goal as well incredible career she's had and and showing that she can still do something special on the world stage Susie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you could see quite a bit of rustiness in her performance as well. You know, she's not played a huge amount of football but she's just like got so much swagger and is so influential and I think we saw that in 2019 as well right like she had not played a huge amount of football before the World Cup and then came in and did some very very special things so what I think is really interesting is I don't think anyone has particularly shone in this these first however many fixtures and I think the the next round is really going to set the tone of who are the real standout teams in this tournament and I think Rapino is another that has sort of to a certain extent st- suffered from the still shaking off the rust curse of of these opening games. Yeah and of course USA will face uh, Netherlands on 
Thursday. Netherlands getting their campaign underway on Sunday, which we'll analyse in Monday's pod. For anyone who was under a rock in 2019, these are the same two teams who faced off in the final of that World Cup and USA came out on top ultimately. But they look good today, so it'll be interesting to see how the Netherlands look on Sunday. Uh, Let's take a look at Group C because Japan put in an impressive performance to beat Zambia by five goals to nil. They were all over them throughout the game. Zambia making uh, their debut at a World Cup and the attacking force of Hinata Miyazawa June Endo and Mina Tanaka were on fire. Four goals between them, including Miyazawa with two. And uh, Rico Wakey came on and grabbed a goal late in the game as well. Could have been more. Two offside decisions early in the second half, denying Japan a goal and a penalty. And Zambia keeper Catherine Masonda gave away a penalty in the 97th minute. Received a second yellow card as a result of that, meaning a red and a one-match suspension. The last thing uh, that Zambia would want from there. Eunice Sakala came on and saved a penalty, though, but came off her line too quickly. Same as uh, in England's game earlier on against Haiti. So the penalty had to be retaken and it was Wakey that uh, slotted that penalty home. Uh, What can Zambia take, if anything, from this game, Raf? Look, I think it was such a dominant display from Japan. Susie, I know you said about not, uh, you know, highlighting any standout teams. But for me, Japan and, and I know that the Zambia opponents weren't weren't the strongest, but the way they dominated the game, and we, we're used to seeing that from Japan. Their passing control, uh, you know, possession game, delivery from wide areas, endo creating. But on the Zambia side, I think what they lacked was any kind of calm when they did have possession, um, that they did panic. But I think what they have to, to kind of take from that is it could have been a lot more. Um, I think they went for direct play when they did have possession. So maybe looking to utilise that a little bit more um, in terms of relieving relieving that pressure. But yeah, really difficult game for Zambia, obviously goalkeeper uh, with the red card. So I think they're going to have to rebuild, uh, maybe tactically really try and narrow off and, and, and reduce the goals going in. Yeah, I mean, the goalkeeper position is a big problem for Zambia because I think if I've heard correctly, I believe they've had to call up an 18-year-old literally a couple of days ago um, who is now going to have to step in and play that position, which is quite wild. In terms of Zambia disappointing and Japan excelling, I mean, I said it earlier, Zambia have had a lot of off-field problems, you know, allegations against the coach who is still in charge for this tournament. You know, it's obviously a really disappointing like backdrop to their campaign that had so much promise after they sort of really lit up the Olympics. Yeah, quite disappointing to not see them do more. But I completely agree with Raf that if you're going to pick a standout team of these first bunch of games, it is Japan. And I'm like salivating at the idea of the Japan-Spain game and those two teams that keep the ball so phenomenally against each other is just going to be like a real thrill to watch. Really excited about that. You know, you said it was wild. They've got Spain next. Spain scored three and should have had more against Costa Rica the other day. So that is not going to be a fun uh, start to the tournament for for sure. Japan had 68% possession in the game, 10 shots on target compared to Zambia's zero. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating end to, to Group C. As I say, Zambia have Spain next, so more of the same from them and more of the same for Japan against Costa Rica, potentially. Um, 
Salon, that, that's all the day's action, by the way, for you. But you, you want to speak about the New Zealand 75ers Salon? Yeah, I had the privilege of um, meeting the New Zealand and Australian 1975 squads um, the other day who were kind of reunited and given their their respects and their dues that they, they've been long overdue. And um, yeah, I got chatting to, to the New Zealanders particularly who actually won the Asia Cup in 1975. They were the first ever group of women to represent New Zealand, led by their captain, Barbara Cox, who was just a beautiful, beautiful woman. First woman to ever play with her daughter professionally or for international duty, so they played on the same team. And later, uh, Kiwi captain Beck Smith played with Michelle Cox, the daughter, and Bex was there as well. So it was a beautiful intergenerational celebration of, of kind of women in football, really. And yeah, just to hear the stories of kind of women who'd gone before us in, in 75 and to see them being recognised with a shirt and kind of being really celebrated was, yeah, really special and almost felt like a splash of actually what they should have received and to to be here and and celebrating a host tournament and looking at a game that feels unrecognisable to what... What they experienced, they actually played in front of 14,000 people in Hong Kong when they won the Asia Cup. And they were telling me stories of, um, yeah, they like loads of people bet on that match and they then were like the subject, they had to get a police escort out of the ground and their bus was like, windows were broken on their bus because people were so angry they'd lost so much money because these New Zealand women had come over and won the cup. And then telling us these stories of how they were reuniting the squad over the last year, trying to get them all back together and thinking that Elaine was dead, but Elaine was there. They were like, we couldn't get hold of her for a year. We thought she's dead. I was like, no, she's right here. And Elaine was like, I'm not dead. <laughs> um, and then they were playing a game of walking football against Australia. But I really, really warmed to the, the New Zealand uh, women and just felt in awe of kind of everything that they'd done over those last 58 years to further the game and the th- things they had to go through to be able to play. And um, it just made you really, well, it made me feel really like humble and grateful to be you know, in, in these host nations enjoying a tournament that, you know, they, is theirs really, they, it kind of belongs to them. And how incredible that they get to see, you know, the 50,000 or so that were packed into Eden Park for the opening uh, game of the, the tournament, you know, that they started that progress off in, in, in the first place. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, right, that's it. Salon, lovely to see you as always. Rocking that Lionesses uh, away shirt from the European Championships that I remember borrowing at that hotel that we did the final recording after the final. I lo- th- this has got all the vibes, you and Susie, together in a kitchen of uh, of that that we did in a bedroom in a Premier Inn <laughs> just outside of Wembley. But you've we got tea. We have to recreate it. Well, you've got tea instead of beer, which I'm very disappointed with you about. Well, give us just under a month Sunday 20th of August, some hotel room in Sydney and I'm sure that these teas will be swapped for beers. I will be joining you, I hope. Susie, always a pleasure. Get some sleep. Likewise, got a flight tomorrow. Oh, safe journey. Raf, see you soon. See you soon, Faye. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back on Monday to discuss all bar one of the first round of group games, including Netherlands, Portugal, France, Jamaica and Germany versus Morocco. And remember, you can keep in touch throughout the tournament by emailing womensfootballweekly at theguardian.com. Women's Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Music composition was by Laura Iredale and our executive producer is Sal Ahmed.
Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel. With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more. This is The Guardian.